This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su. And it is Friday and as always, joining us in the studio today is consultant urologist Dr. George Lee. How are you doing today, George? I'm very good. I'm just uh, feeling like it's very quiet in Klang Valley. What's going on? I guess it's mm. coming to the end of the year, right? You know, believe it or not, this is the final quarter of the year. What happened to 2023, right? It's October already. That's right. That's right. And then the first week of October... Traditionally, we tend to do kind of breast cancer related pink October thing. Mm -hmm. But today, something very different. Today, something very different. We're talking about food today. Um, Very exciting for us. I'm sure that will stir a lot of uh, appetite out there. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Um, And today, we're talking about ultra processed food. Now, that's actually a term that's fairly new um, into Mm. mainstream media, but it's the type of food isn't exactly new. You know, it's everywhere. Most of us consume some form of it in our daily diets. Um, But, you know, some people, say that oh it sounds really bad for your health because of I how know, much I... it goes how much processing it mm-hmm. goes through the additives that are in it but is it really that bad for our health you know if we've been eating it right every day <laughs> unknowingly that's like you know you've been eating it in fact i've never heard of that term before i just mm. felt a bit embarrassed because early on i found out that it's mainly in the kind of like a literature or medical literature mm. but i'm not quite aware of this so i'm really looking forward to today's interview mm, and hopefully we can shed more light on this for all our listeners out there um, joining us to talk about this today is Associate Professor Dr. Wong Ji In. She's head of the Nutrition Science Program at University Kebangsa and Malaysia's Faculty of Health Sciences. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Wong. Thanks, Sue Anne. How's everyone doing? <laughs> Very excited. <laughs> Both of us, you can to hear. Find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can call us at 77332900. You can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Ask us any and all questions you want to know about um, processed food, um, how, you know, things, you modifications you want to make to your diet, mm-hmm. perhaps. We are here to take those questions. Um, Dr. Wong, perhaps we'll start then, right, with what George said as well. Like, most people might not know what it is. So what is ultra-processed food? And mm. when is something categorised as UPF? Mm. So ultra-processed food, as its name applies, implies it is a heavily processed food. Mm-hmm. So it is actually an industrial formulation of products uh, that usually contains five or more ingredients. So this term is made popular, I guess, by um, in the uh, 20, uh early 2000s, I think by the uh, a group of scientists in Brazil. So because of this uh, classification called NOVA. Mm-hmm. So there are many ways of classifying foods based on its processing level. Mm-hmm. And I think the most popular one that is often used in the scientific literature, it's called the NOVA classification system. So NOVA classification system is introduced by Professor, I think, Carlos Monterio. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a Brazilian professor who introduced the concept of categorizing food not based on nutrients. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's based on how the extent and the purpose of processing. Uh So in this NOVA classification, there are four main groups of food. So the first groups of food is called the uh, unprocessed or the minimally processed food. So this includes uh, things that we eat on the basis of our diet, for example, the fruits, the vegetables, the cereals, um, our legumes, you know, in its natural form, Mm. right? It may also go through some minimal processing. That's why it's called minimal processing. For example, maybe the the edible parts of the plants uh, has been processed so that we can 
assess them uh, or it may be, you know, added, um, it may be boiled, it may be roasted, it may be pasteurized, it may be frozen. So to keep the food, uh, extend the shelf life of the food. So, so this cooking is, is also processing? Yes, cooking is a form of processing. So it's minimally processed. Mm. Right. So um, the group two is called the processed culinary ingredients. Uh, so these are actually highly processed ingredients such as oil, mm-hmm. vegetable oil, uh, such as uh, sugars, uh, the salt, because, you know, they don't come in the form that we can recognize. For example, <laughs> oils may come from corn, from palm, you know, mm-hmm. but we see now the highly processed culinary ingredient that we mm-hmm. add now to our food. Right. So this is group number two, okay. processed culinary ingredients. Now, group number three, it's what we consume quite uh, frequently, the processed food. Now, processed food, these are products made by adding the group two ingredients. So it is group one ingredient and add, adding two. group <laughs> two ingredients. That's right, you got it. So it is uh, products made by adding uh, salt, oil, sugar, other group two ingredients. Mm. Uh, so the main purpose of it is to preserve the food. For example, we have canned fish. Mm. Uh, we have thin fruits and vegetables like mm-hmm. our uh, green peas. You know they are in cans. Mm-hmm. It also contains things like you know uh, fruits in syrups mm. or freshly made, unpacked you know bread. Pickles. Uh, pickles, yes. Uh, they are Salted made from, fish. Yes, many of them. <laughs> yeah, so these are no, group number three. So group four is called the ultra-processed food or mm. simply known UPF. So mm. these are usually ready-to-consume products. These are industrial formula- uh, formulations of ingredients, mostly using ingredients that are exclusive for industrial use. Uh-huh. For example, if you see a product that contains... Uh, items that we don't use or don't find in our kitchen, Mm -hmm. it is likely to be ultra-processed food. So, for example, there are ingredients such as uh, maltodextrins. What's that? Which is a a, a simpler form of uh, carbohydrate. It is sweet, you know, maltodextrins. It is processed ingredient to Mm -hmm. sweeten the food. It also contains things like modified starch Mm. or we have like protein in its isolated forms Mm -hmm. or we have uh, artificial sweeteners. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are the nutrients in the form of you know, protein, carbohydrate, fats, uh, fats like hydrogenated oil. You know, mm-hmm. we don't use this in our kitchen, mm-hmm. but they are actually carbohydrate, a form of carbohydrate, a form of protein, a form of fat, uh, but they are of industrial use. Oh. So then I've seen a lot of these terms mm-hmm. on ingredients list, mm-hmm. right? When I read them, um, when I buy things from supermarkets off shelves, I read, I look at the ingredients list. Some, there are so many um, terms the that, things I, that we don't understand. That we don't understand. <laughs> so if I see five or more of these terms, does that mean that that is likely ultra-processed food? That's true. It is likely going to be ultra-processed food when you see these ingredients that we are unfamiliar of. We cannot relate to what Mm. we have in our kitchen. That's one thing. Another marker or important marker of uh, uh, UPF uh, is uh, looking at uh, whether or not they have food additives. Mm. So the E uh, numbers. Yeah, so the E numbers are commonly used in the Europe, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so but in Malaysian uh, food regulation uh, food law, uh, we said that uh, the food uh, food additives, right? The company do not need to declare the specific kind of additives, but they must say contain permitted uh, food 
uh, it is emulsifier or coloring or uh, preservative. Okay. They don't necessarily have to declare it is the E number. Uh-huh. Yeah. So essentially what you're saying, category four is just a fake food, right? It's, it's all made <laughs> up. I mean, it doesn't come in a natural form, mm. but it's manufactured uh, for the benefit of either nutrition or uh, flavoring. It is uh, manufactured to be highly palatable. It must be mm. tasty. It must be convenient. Uh-huh. And it's also highly profitable. For uh-huh. example, making a product of ultra-processed food, the food manufacturer, they will have to source ingredients. Mm-hmm. These are the uh, constituent ingredients from mm-hmm. different sources. For example, they may not get it like sugar. They will not get the table sugar. They may use maybe uh, uh, inert su- uh, invert sugars or maltodextrins you know, from different sources or high fructose corn syrups. Mm-hmm. These are cheaper source mm-hmm. of uh, sugar or sweetener to make our food more palatable. Mm-hmm. So essentially, it's a cost decision. It is also, it, it, it has to be yep. uh, cheap. Yeah. <laughs> so it's produced in, in mass. In big scale. In big yeah, scale. Okay, right. I mean, on one hand, you would think something like that can feed the world. Mm. On the other hand, you kind of worry about um, this sort of food is somehow not natural, mm. must be dangerous. Is that a false misconception? Mm. Well, not. I should say this is my personal opinion, though. Mm. They are not because of the way the foods are categorized. You know, ultra processed uh, food means that foods they are, uh, you know, highly processed, uh, but not. All are bad. So it's not automatically ultra-processed means bad. So yeah. fake doesn't mean bad. Yeah, maybe I should <laughs> highlight a few examples of ultra-processed mm. food. What so, are some common ones that Malaysians might consume? Yeah, yeah so maybe we consume a lot of um, ready-to-eat products such as instant noodles, uh, the sugar-sweetened beverages, the carbonated sweet drinks. They could be also like things like sweet and savoury packaged snacks, chocolates, candies, ice creams, or things that, uh, what they would call the mass-produced packaged breads and buns oh. that we rely a lot for our breakfast. Um, margarines and other spreads, cookies, biscuits, pastry, cakes. Uh, breakfast. They don't sound that bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are some food items that we wouldn't think of it as an UPF, but it is actually UPF. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mm, because I'm thinking like bread, for example, Dr. Wong, you know, a lot of us, um, some people switch from white bread to wholemeal instead because mm. it's um, said to be healthier, but wholemeal is also ultra-processed, right? But again, it goes. we go back to, it doesn't necessarily mean it's just inherently bad because it's ultra-processed. Mm. So is bread ultra-processed? Th- this is a good question. So it depends on where you buy your bread. Mm-hmm. So if you buy for a bakery, it is un- it is maybe a processed food, but it's not an ultra-processed food. Uh-huh. If you buy from maybe convenience stores... Off the supermarket shelves. Yeah, off the uh-huh. food, yeah then they... No would- name names. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, right. yeah, We're but not I- doing that. <laughs> yeah, one good tip is to read the ingredient list. Mm. Uh, so what you're saying is that if it was a homemade stroke... Um, uh, in a small boutique style mm. and then in a bakery, then mm. it's one plus two, mm. which is category three. But if it's in a big scale, mm. then it has to be f- category four. Mm. But is it just simply that um, the difference between one, uh, three and four is just the mass production or inside we have some hidden ingredients that one needs to be aware of. Yeah, so we are talking about there are two main characteristics of Mm -hmm. uh, UPF. One is that they use ingredients that we don't get 
uh, at home. Uh, so these are of exclusive industrial use. Uh, ingredients such as uh, um, modified starch, uh, like different kind of uh, sugar, uh, and also proteins in this isolated or hydrogenated forms or hydrolyzed forms or hydrogenated oils. One thing, mm. so look for that in the ingredient list. Another one is actually looking at whether or not food additives are added. Mm. For example, um, packet package that we can get from the convenience store. If you read the label carefully, you see that food additives are permitted food additives are added mm -hmm. and it's very common. Mm. So I guess then if you are getting your bread from a from your local bakery, you know, it's also a good idea to ask them as well what they're adding into it, right? Mm. Because uh, in that case, they may not always list, um, it's not necessarily listed when you buy it. Mm -hmm. um, we'll continue this discussion after a quick break. On the show with me is my co-host, consultant urologist, Dr. George Lee. And joining us for today's topic is Associate Professor Dr. Wong Ji In from University Kebangsaan Malaysia. We'll be right back after a few messages on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su And it is Friday and thus our Doctor in the House um, series. So joining me in the studio today is consultant urologist Dr. George Lee as my co-host. And as our guest today is Associate Professor Dr. Wong Ji, Ying, Wong Ji In, Head of the Nutrition Science Program at University Kebangsaan Malaysia. We are talking about um, food and ultra-processed food Um We've been talking about the differences, how it gets from category one to category four, which is ultra processed foods. Um, we have a list, uh, and before we get to our listeners' question, um, just a call out. You can call us at double seven double three two nine hundred. You can WhatsApp us at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, or tweet us at BFM Radio if you have anything you'd like to ask. We have a listener, Doctor Wong, who's asking, "What about vitamins?" Mm -hmm. um, because we often see that sort of listed in food ingredient lists as well. Is that considered an additive? Um, supplement is uh, considered an ultra-processed food, just mm. like baby food, infant formulas, follow-up formulas, and also diet supplements. Uh -huh. Yeah, so, um, sorry, I should say dietary supplements in the form of maybe meal replacer because these are categorized as food. They are mm. not mm -hmm. categorized as drugs. Mm -hmm. So if you are talking about a meal replacer in the form of, you know, um, as a, that, that acts as your dietary supplements, yeah, mm -hmm. it is unfortunately classified okay. as ultra-processed food. Mm. We have another question from um, Hanif who is asking, what about protein shakes or protein powders? Uh -huh. Is that also processed food? Another it great is, question. It is a processed food, yes. Okay, right. Mm. Wow, okay. It, it, well, is that bad for you? I mean, I get this question all the time. Right? It's like, you know, because all these gym goers, they then started building their muscles and they started peeing frothy urine mm -hmm. and they say, is this bad for me? You see them said, at the other end. That's right. <laughs> The only question, the only answer I have for them is just like, you know, everything in moderation. But if moderation itself is even harmful for them? Well, I guess um, if you look at the uh, scientific lecture, there's no direct answer to this, mm. unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I guess um, it depends on how much of an ultra-processed food that you rely on in your mm. daily diet. Uh -huh. Because a lot of literature shows that, you know, we all live on ultra-processed food to some extent, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, to some degree. You know, in some countries like the US and Canada, they consume up to 80% of their calorie from ultra-processed food. Uh -huh. What about Malaysians? <laughs> so Malaysia, I think um, Malaysia, we have not got many studies or national representative mm. data mm -hmm. on uh, ultra-processed food consumption. But based on recent studies, especially uh, there's one just published this year looking at 
young adults. They are university students from public university. Mm-hmm. Uh, they found that one third of the calories, thirty one percent, thirty one percent of the calories actually come from ultra processed food. Mm-hmm. It is not surprising, uh, given that uh, most public university students lives in their college or their residential college. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may not have access to cooking facilities or may mm-hmm. have limited skills or yeah. culinary skills to prepare their own food. Yeah. Mm. To, yeah. to answer Suan's question, presumably it's quite ge- geographically dependent. Mm. Like if you live in Kelantan, mm. also processed food will be a lot more expensive and less accessible. Mm. And then if you're in Klang Valley, presumably you know easy accessibility for food like that will be your daily life. Would that would that make sense? Yeah, it makes lots of sense because I think because of this. Um, um, many multinational companies are so being blamed uh, mm. for introducing ultra processed for making them very accessible to uh-huh. people. Mm. Yeah, so mm. is cost also an issue because in urban settings in in, in cities, right? Um, these kinds of ultra processed foods have longer shelf life. They're often cheaper as well, and that's what unfortunately people who are um, perhaps living on a day to day basis that's what they can afford, mm-hmm. right? So I assume cost is also a factor. Mm, it's a very realistic choice to mm. many. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Sorry, just one more question, George, before I let you ask yours. Does being ultra-processed affect the nutritional value of the food then, Dr. Wong? Because we are talking about mm-hmm. um, calorie intake and things like that, right? Yeah, previously when people think of ultra-processed food, we think that they are also energy dense. Mm-hmm. They are high in fats, mm-hmm. high in sugars and salt. Uh, so that is true uh, for most cases mm-hmm. uh, where there's a recent study that was published looking at uh, the examine uh, more than 9,000 food products available in the market. This was done in the Europe, uh, in the in European countries, right? Mm-hmm. They were looking at the products and they found, they were just comparing the front of, uh, front of pack labels. Mm-hmm. They look at whether or not, uh, how, uh, first of all, they look at the ingredients, they categorize them as, uh, you know, whether it's group one, two, three or four. And they also look at the the quality of the products using what they call Nutri-Score. So Mm. it's a way of uh, categorizing the quality of the product. So A being the best product, E means the uh, least desirable product. So they found that... they found that most of the majority of the UPFs are class C, D and E. Mm. And majority of the unprocessed or minimally processed, if you recall, that's group one uh, products, they are of class A and B. Mm-hmm. So it is a very important um, message to tell people, okay, most of the, perhaps, you know, most of the uh, ultra-processed food uh, may be lacking in certain nutrients are lower in certain essential nutrients. Mm-hmm. However, that is not all the case because the paper also highlighted that 26% of a class A food or Nutri-Score, that means, you know, using the Nutri-Score, which is the food product scoring system, mm-hmm. they are the class A groups, they are actually ultra-processed food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is quite controversial, meaning that when we look at this, uh, another classification system in this example is the Nutri-Score system. Mm-hmm. It is considered a class A food. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the processing level, it is considered ultra-processed food, which has negative connotation, right, mm-hmm. about its quality. Uh, in this study, they found that 26%, you know, quite a substantial number of ultra-processed food actually has A quality. 
well, what are these ultra processed food that are exceptional? Mm. They found that there are things like ready meals because mm-hmm. these ready meals are often um, labeled as carrying nutritional claims such as uh, fat free, reduced salt, mm-hmm. uh, low sugar, or added fiber. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why they got the A class, uh-huh. right? So there are also some products, uh, for example, the plant based alternatives mm. yeah. because there's a huge movement t- moving towards you know yeah. plant based products. The meat so, substitutes, right? The meat substitutes. So yeah. the uh, plant based uh, meals, uh, they are classes A class, but. Uh, they are actually ultra-processed Okay, food. on that line, this is why I want to ask you, right? Okay, because the first thing that came across my mind when I saw the topic was that this is the impossible food, right? It's the impossible burger and mm. that sort of thing, right? Mm. Exactly what are they? It's like, are they really plant-based or are they just lab-raised, uh, you know, mm. meat? What mm. are these meat substitutes actually made of? Because I think people don't, people just see them as um, fake chicken or fake beef sometimes, right? But yeah. but what are they actually? I think they are, um, I think ultimately they are imitation meat, mm. meaning that they are not made from the whole food. Of course, they, you can't be making a vegetarian mm-hmm. burger from a meat, right? right? So you have to get the food ingredients from plant sources, okay. which are ingredients, uh, usually are constituent ingredients. For yeah. example, you have to find a form of starch. You yeah, have yeah. to mm. source in the flavoring. You have to source uh, the different um, you know, ingredients to mimic mm-hmm. the meat taste. Yeah. And they are ultra-processed food. Okay, this is very important for me because we've got about two weeks' time, we've got this vegan festival coming up, right? It's, a, you know, the Chinese Gaowong Ye thing, right? Okay, mm. It's very important. Sorry, my mum will not let me eat this Impossible Burger because my mum said it's lab-based, so it is technically still meat. But I said, but it is not generated from an animal. So is that true that these are just genetically somehow raised meat, but they're not plant-based? They're not uh, kind of like a, a meat-based or so? Because obviously we have plant substitutes. Some right? of them okay. are soy-based. Some, some are soy-based, uh, but that's not these kind of like burgers which cost about like 50 ringgit each, right? Okay, so so is, I mean, two Two reasons why. So once a year, I have this dilemma whether I can eat this or not. Secondly, is that is that the way to kind of like have meat substitute? Everyone's talking about how, uh, you know, farm, dairy farm is like destroying the planet and all sorts of things. And people are talking about movement in order to generate these fake meat, uh, which is not exactly plant-based, and somehow raised from a lab. From the, some, the lab-grown meat the, the uh, you're lab referring meat. to. That's it. right, yeah. Ah, I see. So you're referring to lab-grown meat. That's so right. basically... Is that meat, first of all? <laughs> um, they are synthetic meat. So, <laughs> so, so a true vegetarian would not go for that. Oh, a true vegetarian. So my mom's mm. right. <laughs> Okay. Uh, so yeah, there are different. I think you're talking about the impossible burger. Impossible mm. food. They are yeah. lab-grown meat. That's right. Yeah. Mm. So they are basically from cells in the culture. Correct. Yeah. They... It, well, it, 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 that's what I read. Is that true? It's true. So does that cl- classify as ultra-processed food? Yeah, because they are not whole foods, not intact food. Mm. They are def- definitely being classified as ultra-processed Because ultra-ultra, really, is another <laughs> level, really. Yeah, mm. this is another level, I guess. Uh, these are engineered products. Uh-huh. Mm. So 
I have to keep away from these. Uh, Just for that one day, <laughs> you should be fine. Nine um, days. Nine. <laughs> um, going back to our discussion earlier about protein shakes, um, Dr. Wong, we have a listener, Anthony, who's asking, so uh, would you say that when it comes to things like protein shakes and powders, it's best to treat it more as a supplement um, while also eating regular natural whole foods? You know, um, and, and he gives an example of, I should not substitute my top fun with a protein shake. Oh, yeah. Just go for chicken breast. That's a lot easier. <laughs> well, I guess um, it also depends on what kind of dietary goals do you have now. Mm. I guess uh, if someone is on protein shakes, they are probably in a different phase, a temporary phase of their life where they are trying to maybe make weight or mm-hmm. increase their weight or reduce their weight. As a nutritionist, I think I'm very practical in that sense. <laughs> we have to be very sure what is your goal. Mm-hmm. But in general, we say that you should be trying to eat you know, um, whole foods uh, because you can get uh, more when you eat with variety, moderations and balance, you're mm-hmm. going to get all the essential nutrients that we eat. So my short answer to that is yes, but it really depends on your goal. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I mean, but that said, right, it's quite, it's probably unrealistic to ask people to cut out significantly um, ultra-processed foods from their diet because of the fact that they're everywhere. Mm. So is it more about managing consumption then? And how can, I mean, you've given us um, tips on how we can look out for what are ultra-processed foods, right? But to what extent should we or do we need to cut down on, on that, that part of our diet? Mm, I think uh, whenever possible, mm-hmm. I would say, if you refer to Malaysian dietary guidelines, mm-hmm. you know, in our Malaysian food pyramid, at the top of the pyramid, we have the group two ingredients, the mm-hmm. culinary ingredients, uh, the fats, the sugars, the oil, and we mm-hmm. ask people to limit your consumption. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you'll notice, there's also a footnote saying that try to limit ultra-processed food. Mm. They, so the, the note says that limit intake of fat, sugar, and salt. These include ultra-processed food which contains artificial substances such as colours, sweeteners, flavours, preservatives mm. and other additives. <laughs> so the message is very so clear. So it's a disclaimer there. <laughs> <laughs> it is because of the awareness that how overconsumption of ultra-processed food actually brings a lot of adverse effect. Mm-hmm. So I would say that uh, so the question is whether or not we should be uh, cutting down. Cutting and it and down. I think we should try to limit mm. based on the, you know, the following the Malaysian food pyramid. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, obviously, you know, you talked about this cutting down. I have a confession to make. When you mentioned the ultra-processing food and then, uh, you know, you start talking about ice cream and also instant noodles, I must confess those are my, like, you know, midnight comfort food, right? Okay, my mum tells me and other things that, you know, if you carry on eating those rubbish, right, okay, you're going to lose your hair, right? Okay, and that is my biggest bugbear that I worry I might lose my hair. Is that true? What is the extent of that, that, you know, eating these sort of food, you're just going to... And I'm going to add on to that, uh, to what George said a bit, because when people talk about hair falling out, people yeah. also often tie that to MSG. That's right. So okay. is MS- <laughs> and, and I don't know if we might be sort of going a bit off tangent, but is MSG also part of this ultra processing? And, is it and, category and, two or four? Yeah. And is MSG is considered food and the diffs. Mm. So it is usually added to... Uh, to your group three, which becomes so. A group if something four. has group, uh, if something has MSG in it, it is more. It is likely to be group four. Yes, because okay. it is a food additive. So okay. is it is a two to become four? 
additive, it's uh, it's classified because as we don't consume in group mm. two. We don't consume those food okay. itself that way. Okay, okay, yeah. not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but is MSG inherently bad? Dr. Yeah, that's right. Well, Am this I going to lose my hair? Topic today. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is partly food as well. It's processed food. It is an ingredient. Mm. It is an additive. So uh, in Malaysia, uh, we approve. Uh, MSG is one of the many approved food additives. That's uh-huh. all I can say for okay. today's okay, session. Okay, okay, right. Okay. So, but am I going to lose my hair if I carry on eating the instant noodles? <laughs> well, I guess uh, your mom is just trying to tell you, George, it's time to reduce your ultra processed oh, yeah. <laughs> Or just don't have peckish suppers, you know, in the middle of the night. No comfort food. Uh, or, well, yeah, stick yes. to the salad. Yeah. salad. No, no. Yeah. I think whole foods can be interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, we need, we still need like sugar, salt, fats and oil in our food. It's just about how much are you taking that? Of course. Mm. We'll go for another quick break and then we'll come back to answer a few more questions before we wrap up our discussion today. On the show with me, our co- uh, consultant urologist, Dr. George Lee, my co-host and our guest, Associate Professor Dr. Dr. Wong Ji In from University Kebangsaan Malaysia. You can keep sending in your messages. You can WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. You can also call us at 7733-2900. We'll be right back on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su An, and my co-host, consultant urologist, Dr. George Lee. It's starting to rain now, but mm. it's not going to put a damper on our discussion for I today. Know. We're going very strong um, about today's topic on ultra-processed food. And joining us to shed more light on this, to unpack this topic, is Associate Professor Dr. Wong Ji In, Head of the Nutrition Science Program at University Kebangsaan Malaysia. We've been talking quite a bit um, about the potential the bads of um, ultra-processed food, mm. right? Because it is, it does have quite a bad reputation. But um, Dr. Wong, in what cases would that ultra-processing be necessary? You know, are there examples of foods, of UPFs that are actually, that, that aren't bad after all? Mm. I should say that under this uh, broad categorization using the NOVA system, there are a lot of food that we con- perceive to be healthy are also categorized as ultra-processed mm. food. Mm-hmm. So we talked just now about things like... Um, diet uh dietary uh diet foods mm. uh we talk about infant formulas follow up milks other baby products there are also common things that we consume on a daily basis for example breakfast cereals mm. Uh, mm-hmm. cereal bars mm-hmm. or things like energy bars your milk drink fruit mm. drink or things like um your uh three in one two in one and your cereal powders mm-hmm. you know these are mm-hmm. common food items for breakfast. Yeah. And also, presumably, uh, what you mentioned, like uh, infant formulary, and that's the one thing in the uh, modern society Mm. that is crucial to ensure that uh, each baby get all the nutrients that they require for development, right? Yeah, breast milk is still the best, Mm. uh, but uh, there are uh, parents who rely on infant formulas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, after, you know, six months, uh, after exclusive breastfeeding, people switch on to follow-up milks. Mm -hmm. And these are also considered ultra-processed. So would you say that ultimately the goal is to look at the nutritional content of the food rather than just looking at the ingredients list and seeing if there are five additives ultra-process equal, but I should look at the nutritional content instead. I think we should be very mindful that not all ultra-processed food mm-hmm. is bad. Uh, is bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, first mm-hmm. of all, uh, we have to know why are we consuming that food? Are they better alternatives? Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. cannot use one same statement for everything. I yeah. feel that's so not it's, fair. 
item by item. By item by item. I mean, one example, presumably I can think of is like, say, for example, for the benefit of shelf life, mm. certain milk probably mm. treated and enriched with calcium mm. can have the shelf life that can be transported to anywhere in the world, mm. doesn't need to be uh, refrigerated mm-hmm. and will benefit a whole group of people. Would that, would that categorise as outer uh, processed food? Yeah. And then presumably that sort of benefit is helping to feed the world. Yeah, you're right. So this is one good example. Ultra-heated mm. milk, you know, they are the packaged milk, the mm. packet the milk. The carton ones. The yeah. carton ones. They are actually considered ultra-processed food uh-huh. under this NOVA classification. But it doesn't mean that it is bad. For example, our children relies on milk for their source of vitamins and minerals mm-hmm. such as, you know, they are also fortified usually mm. with vitamin D. Mm-hmm. So these are very important source of nutrients that mm-hmm. we cannot live without uh, yeah. in a way. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it is case-to-case basis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. We have another question here, um, Dr. Wong, someone who's asking, is fermented are, are fermented foods considered as processed foods? Mm-hmm. Like, so like would, kimchi's. Mm, so like kimchi's, like your um, miso. So would that be considered sort of group three processed foods instead of ultra processed foods? Yeah, because kimchi, for instance, uses a group two ingredient, mm. salt. Mm. So it is considered a processed food. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right. Great question. Yeah. Yes. Um, how, I mean, considering that UPF, you know, coming back to this discussion, UPFs are not, all good, they're mm-hmm. not all bad. Um, mm-hmm. And while we don't know enough about how much we consume in our Malaysian diets, um, you did say that there's a small, there's a study that looked at um, young adults, that one, uh, UPFs contribute about 31% of their calorie mm-hmm. intake. But do you think UPFs contribute a lot to our burden of diet-related diseases? Or what is actually the main culprit that we should be looking at instead? Mm, I think this raised a lot of uh, concern. The main reason why a lot of people talk about ultra-processed food because there are big studies which starts to show that uh, high consumption of ultra-processed food are related to chronic non-communicable disease. Mm-hmm. I think in 2020, for example, this systematic review and meta-analysis of huge observational studies. They mm-hmm. look at more than 40 over studies, 43 studies from different countries. Mm-hmm. They found that um, consumption of ultra-processed food, they are related to increased risk of overweight, obesity, uh, abdominal obesity, mm-hmm. all-cause mortality, metabolic syndrome, and depression in adults. So you just hear about this, you'll be, oh, mm-hmm. my goodness, you know, they are... You're scared. Yeah, you're scared. So, mm-hmm. and then the... I think the mainstream media then comes in and also talk about, you know, um, it raises a lot of concerns in the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what actually contributes to this adverse effect? I think if you look at the literature today, there are more systematic review than the one published in 2020. Mm. Uh, There are so many of them looking at different health outcomes Mm -hmm. and it all seems to be consistent showing that uh, compared to people with low consumption of uh, ultra-processed food, those in a higher quintile or tertile of uh, consumption seems to have higher risk of getting non-communicable disease. Mm-hmm. But bear in mind that all these studies, they are observational studies. Mm-hmm. They are so cross-sectional studies. we don't study. know for sure. We don't know for sure the causality or the mechanism behind mm-hmm. it. However, I should also point out there's a very interesting, um, I think the only trial the randomized control trial that has been conducted by, I think, Dr. Kevin Hall some years ago, 2019. They basically um, have 20 uh, volunteers. Uh, they are each given, they are given you know, two different kinds of diet, uh, match for their calorie, match for their nutrient 
for example, mm. protein, fat, carbohydrate, and fiber. One, however, is uh, in a form of an unprocessed diet, mm-hmm. and the other one is exactly matching the nutrients, but they are in the form of ultra-processed. So this study showed that after two weeks, you know, and these participants um, went through the diet regime, they found that those in the group uh, of ultra-processed food have increased, uh, has gained weight. And also on a daily, uh, on average, uh, their consumption of food is 500 calories more than another group, which mm-hmm. is on the unprocessed food. Mm-hmm. So this study was in a sort of, um, in a control setting. Mm. And so it was very clear that it is clearly not the nutrient profile of these food, but it is the processing of these food that contribute to overconsumption of calorie. Uh-huh. Uh, mm. That was a very, I think, a landmark study, the only study trial uh, that is not observational. Mm-hmm. So it was done on this purpose, but it's not easy to conduct that, such kind of study. Mm. So understandably, there are not many of them. Mm-hmm. But that study also, in a way, uh, encouraged many other researchers to try to look at what would be the exact mechanism that could possibly contribute to this. Mm. Yeah, it is not the nutrient per se. I mm-hmm. mean, because both diets are the same nutrients profile. Of course, yeah. It is the extent of processing. So we need to we need more studies. Then we need to we need to wait to hear these results, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but mm-hmm. there are a few hypotheses or theories. Mm-hmm. For example, one is about you know how ultra processed food are industrial formulations. So you pick like different ingredients, you mm-hmm. put them mm-hmm. together, and so the 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 food itself, the products, uh, lose its original metrics, the food metrics. So it has been said that it could be due to maybe the change in texture mm-hmm. and the change of forms mm-hmm. that contributes to. Uh, people consuming them faster mm. <laughs> and it delays maybe the satiety or the appetite uh, hormones mm-hmm. and therefore you have uh, delayed uh, satiation, you don't feel full mm-hmm. and you therefore you eat tend more. to eat more. That's one very popular mm-hmm. hypothesis. Mm. Others relate to, for example, maybe the lack of uh, phytochemicals because when we eat food, right, like for example, you eat a peanut, Mm-hmm. Right, uh, it is natural form. It doesn't just contain, you know, the nutrients that we know, but it also contains some phytochemical that we now know and discover, you know, to be beneficial for health. Mm-hmm. So when you have ultra processed food, you basically pick and choose the nutrients, but you probably have uh, we have excluded the the phytochemical that comes with it. Mm-hmm. So another theory is because of this, maybe it affect uh, our gut microbiota, mm. you know, mm. uh, what is in our gut and uh, the compositions and uh. also the diversity of our gut. Mm. So that has a direct link to uh, risk of getting non-communicable disease. Of course, yeah. So then, you know, based on what we've been talking about this mm. past hour, what should our listeners take away? Because we don't want to scare them into thinking mm. all ultra-processed food is bad, like we've been talking about earlier, mm-hmm. some of them are necessary, right? How, say... Me, for example, how should I monitor my diet? I guess things things to manage, things to watch out for. Mm, I guess in our um, daily eating, mm-hmm. right, I think uh, we should follow the principle of the Malaysian food pyramid, you know, saying that, you know, you try to consume uh, most of the whole foods from the base uh, the base level, which is fruits and vegetables. And mm-hmm. then we have the whole cereals, rice, grain, etc. These are all actually group one, mm-hmm. uh, group one, mm-hmm. and you plus a group two in your culinary. So you have, you know, some form of minimally processed food. You can consume some ultra processed food, but be mindful that when you consume it, are there any healthier alternatives mm-hmm. that you can choose from? For of example, course. instead of buying, um, if I can afford it, you know, instead of buying uh, convenient 
pastries uh, that I can just heat it up, microwave. I may want to consider, you know, from a, from a bakery store. Maybe mm-hmm. this is not a good example. Maybe bread. Bread is a better mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. You know, we can buy from bakeries or... Uh, make your mil- own. <laughs> or make your own, <laughs> if you can. Or no, things like this. But be very practical. Mm-hmm. You know, can you... Uh, is there a way for you to substitute it? If not, you know, you may because it is not the majority of your consumption. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are you going to take away from this, George? Well, not quite. I'm going to ask another question. <laughs> so, okay, right. So, I mean, the whole point of a shows like this is, first of all, awareness. I know about you mm. know uh, ultra processed food and also enhance uh, nutritional literacy. Right. Okay. So. I mean, I, I must confess another thing that I really have soft spot for. One is luncheon meat because, you know, one of the things that people talk about and also another type of burger that is banned down south in the across the causeway, you know, the burger, the, right? okay, the, those sort of things, right? It's clearly ultra-processed food. If I want to consume them and as a consumer who wants to have that nutritional literacy, how do I find out? Uh, what part of that product, its process, that actually is going to be harmful for me or not? I can, apart, you know, what are the things to look out for when I read the labels? Mm. So mm. maybe um, you, you've alluded to, you've touched on it a bit earlier, Dr. Wong, but maybe as a takeaway message, you know, mm-hmm. what can I look out for in the Yeah, basically, is- essentially for those people who probably for convenience, for whatever reason, still like to head for the instant noodles, still like mm. to head for the luncheon meat, the burgers, mm. and then how should they be informed uh, nutritional uh, literacy in order to move forward? I think read the food label. Okay, it's what f- particular area in that food label you need to watch out for? Yeah, you should go to the ingredient list, number one, because ingredient lists, they are, ingredients are listed according to uh, weight of the food. So if they appear number one in the first item, that means they use most of that ingredient uh-huh. to manufacture the food. So when you look at your ingredient list, check whether there are any ingredients that you are unfamiliar of that you realise that you will not be able to get in your kitchen. Mm. <laughs> are there any permitted additives that were used because it has to be declared in uh-huh. all food products? So two things, ingredient, any unfamiliar ingredients. And the one second one is, are there any food additives? So that is a really good uh, way of you ensuring, uh, checking whether it is an ultra-processed food or not. Mm-hmm. Mm. And lastly, always listen to your mum <laughs> <laughs> and eat what she thinks is good, right? Are you telling that to yourself, George? Absolutely. <laughs> I do that every day. I'm sure she's listening. You know, she'll tell she's me after the show. She's a wise woman. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Wong. I've been speaking to Associate Professor Dr. Wong Ji-in, Head of the Nutrition Science Program from the Faculty of Health Sciences at University Kebangsaan, Malaysia, and joining me to um, talk about today's topic, as always, my co-host, consultant urologist Dr. George Lee. I'm Lim Suen, and this has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.